This is Peace Talks, the radio series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. I'm Paul Ingalls. Over the years, my radio work has occasionally taken me into prisons on reporting assignments. Those visits have always had a profound effect on me because I'm overwhelmed with the wonder of why each inmate is in prison and what will happen to each once they're released, as most of them are, and left to reintegrate to society. It seems that the whole experience would be a workshop in conflict resolution. Crime often has roots in some inner conflict that leads to an outer conflict that's handled inappropriately or violently. While in prison, inmates usually have an opportunity to work on the inner conflicts that got them there. Some take advantage, do the work, access programs, then they're out and given another chance to address conflict differently in their lives. On the outside, certain programs can give them more support. Not everyone in society opens their arms to them. This time on Peace Talks, our host Carol Boss talks with two former prison inmates who both grew up in substance-abusing families. Both began using at the age of 11 and progressed from alcohol to marijuana to cocaine to meth. We used first names only, and our first guest is Chris, who is now clean and about to start work as a maitre d' in an Albuquerque restaurant. He was released from prison in April 2006 after serving a 15-month sentence. The, the charges that I was sent to prison for were conspiracy to commit armed robbery with a deadly weapon. I was with two other people, and one of them I found out later on was a, was a bank robber and was wanted nationally uh, by the FBI. So we'd made a decision that um, we were going to rob a bank called Santa Teresa National Bank. And by the grace of God, nobody went into the bank. But we were caught in a roadblock in Las Cruces. They'd identified... The man I knew, was with, his name was Poncho. I don't know his first name or his last name. And he ran, and he was shot to death. And uh, I remember being on my knees and surrendering, and, and it, was a, it was a bad day. It was a bad day. How were you feeling about yourself at, at this point in your life? I, w- I was scared, I, I was, and I was also strung out, and, and I was detoxing from crack cocaine and Oxycontin and... Um, I was basically confused. How were you taught, or how did you learn to resolve conflict as you were growing up as a young adult? As a child, I always felt disconnected. I felt like I wasn't a part of. I lived in the uh, ghettos of Oakland, California on welfare, and my stepfather was a heroin addict, and we were on welfare, and and there was a lot of violence in my home, and, and so... I learned to look outside of myself, uh, that external values would create success. And if I was successful and people looked at me as a successful human being, then inside I would feel like I was doing okay. And I think that's one of the reasons I reached for drugs, because it was something outside of myself. I had an attitude as a child of, I'll show you. Someday I'll have more money than you. Someday I'll have a nicer car. I'll have all these tangible things so that I'll feel okay inside. I, I built my life around that philosophy. I, I kept building things up to destroy them. You know, I would uh, uh, get good restaurant jobs or I would start working as a manufacturer's rep for someone. And then finally I was able to open my own company and I started making uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year uh, representing various consumer electronics companies. And and I had so much money that I didn't run out of drugs. So I didn't really think I had a problem until one day I was told I was no longer allowed into a, an account I was doing $10 million a year with. And uh, suddenly I was fired from every company I represented and, and my life took a turn, which I think led to the road I took 
for the bank robbery uh, because I felt like I was entitled to a certain standard of living. That's the journey I, I, I walked and, and, and the choices I made are what led to my incarceration. I'm really interested in hearing how you served your sentence. It seems to me those in prison have choices as to how they're going to spend their time there. That's a good question. Um, when I surrendered on my knees, um, I realized that my surrender wasn't about uh, not wanting to get shot. My surrender was about wanting to live. They talk about in the 12-step rooms a moment of silence. And um, I remember there was a moment of silence after I heard the radio squawk and, and it went, shots fired, man down, shots fired, man down. And I felt like I heard the prayers of the men and women of the various 12-step programs uh, reaching out to me. And, and I knew that uh, uh, it was going to be a new day. And, and I knew that no matter what, I was going to go to any length to stay clean because I knew that if I stayed clean, I had a chance at a new life. And so I kind of disregarded all the other circumstances, and I went into a, a holding facility, and I immediately started talking about Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous and the various 12-step programs and, and that we have a new way to live. And, and I was like a mini Tony Robbins running around uh, until one day there was a bunch of methamphetamine that, that hit the uh, facility, and a couple of the guys didn't like the fact that I had uh, – you know, books of, of various recovery programs in in my cell, and and I was holding a meeting called Junkie Church on Sunday mornings, and on Thursdays I had attitude adjustment, and and I'm talking to all these gangbangers and these dudes, and I'm saying, hey man, you know, come to my cell, man, find some recovery. You don't want to get into that, and and. I walked out of my cell that morning, and and you know I'm expecting peace, and some cat came up to me, and he was like, "Hey man, you got to leave. You need to get out of here." You're not welcome here anymore. We don't want that stuff going around here. And, and, and you know, no one is going to tell me what I have to do and what I can't do. No inmate. And, 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 and I made the decision that, you know, no matter what, I was going to stand up for my recovery. And so I went in the showers and, and, and I, I fought with about six guys. And, and uh, I, was, I was put in maximum security. I was locked up 23 hours and 15 minutes a day. The day I hit maximum security for, for fighting... I realized that, you know, it was time to do the work. It was time to write. It was time to do an inventory. It was time to look at my behaviors and what led to where I'm at in my life. And, and, and by doing this exercise and meditation, and, and I found this freedom, this peace within, you know. And, and, and that's what I'd been looking for my whole life was a feeling of everything's okay. And, 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 and for the first time in my life, I realized it's not about outside issues. It's about, it's about internal issues, and it's about dealing with, with, with the conflict within and, and finding your peace within. And, and, and so every day I had a routine, and, and it was a physical routine of exercise. I did an NA meeting. I did an AA meeting. It was amazing. It was amazing the, the amount of peace I found in a 9 by, nine by 10 So despite your best intention in prison not to um, get into your anger. You did have a moment where there was anger and you you got into a fight with some of the other inmates. Well, Carol, you're in a situation where it, it's, it's, there's a code of living. And, and um, if you hit that button and you PC, you will have a miserable existence. Okay, so... What does PC refer to? Protective custody. Okay, protective custody from the other inmates. 
Okay, and, and, and it's the, the most dishonorable, most disrespectful code of conduct that can ever happen in a prison to a man. You have to stand strong for what you believe in, and no matter what the consequences are. It's all fine and dandy on the outside, but when you're living in that society, to show uh, fear, to be a coward is a, is a sentence of being known as, as PC, which is a miserable way to live. So, you know, I made the decision that no matter what, I'm going to stand up for what I believe in. So what's different now that you're out of prison in terms of yourself? Can your buttons still be pushed? No, um, because what I try and do today is not react. I try and act. And that's where, where I talk about, you know, taking a pause. I, I'm not responsible for my, my first thought, but I'm responsible for where I take it. If I'm in a situation that has conflict, I pause and I go to God and I say, God, what would you have me do? I don't buy into conflict resolution through violence because it got me nowhere in my whole life. It, my, my stepfather was a very violent man. He, he's dead. He died on the streets of San Francisco. You know, my twin brother internally uh, was was torn apart uh, because of violence, and he died with a needle in his arm, in in all alone in a room, and that was the way he dealt with it, with a suicide uh, drug overdose. So, for me, I'm learning how to live. You know, and and by learning how to live, there's it's about spiritual principles, and spiritual principles are are about having honesty. Uh, having forgiveness. I think forgiveness is the biggest key that we can have in our life. And, and forgiveness is about not only me forgiving you, but but hoping that you will forgive me. And in turn, the greatest gift I get is I'm able to forgive myself, you know. And, and that's the key to transformation is forgiveness. Let's talk a little bit about what you encountered when you were released from prison. I remember very vividly, I was released April 21st of 2006, and, and I got out of a van. It was almost like getting out of an embryo. I went into the parole office, and, and they gave me the number to a place called Dismas House, and, and which is where I made the decision to parole because Dismas talked about a transition. And so I called a gentleman named Tony, and he came and picked me up, took me to a bank, which was an interesting experience. I actually cashed a check for $40, and... You know, it was wild because for a second there I thought, what if I robbed the bank? Tony would never know. He would drive me back to the halfway house, but I didn't, obviously. So Tony said to me, he goes, you're going to be – you got a curfew of 7 o'clock. And, and I said to Tony, listen, i got to go to an NA meeting. And he goes, no, I can't allow you to do that. I said, well, check it out, man. Turn the car around. He goes, excuse me? I said, turn the car around. If I can't go to an NA meeting, then you might as well take me back to prison because I'm not going to come out – and not be allowed to participate in my recovery because I won't make it. And Tony goes, really? You're that serious about it? And I said, yeah. He goes, well, call your sponsor, man. And and so ever since then, I, I've, I've really connected in the fellowship uh, in, in Albuquerque, and, and it's been a gift. You attend a lot of meetings, don't you? I do seven meetings a week minimum, and, and I, I do H&I work, which is hospitals and institutions. And I go into a detox center every Sunday and, and talk and carry a message of hope, strength, and experience to the people who are still suffering. How do you take care of yourself in terms of balance? I, I, I go to God, and, and I ask God, what would you have me do? And, um, and I try and get out of the concept of um, what would I do? 
And, and by doing that and turning it over, then I'm not running the show. And when I'm not running the show, I'm a lot safer. The community's a lot safer. Um, everybody around me is going to do a lot better. And, and, and I get that peace because I don't have to control it, you know, which is an illusion anyway. I don't have any control. What advice would you have for others who find themselves in perhaps a similar place? Not everyone has those moments of transformation. Not everyone is as immediately committed to turning themselves around as you. But what advice would you have? It's a really good question because if you're talking about somebody coming out of prison, I would recommend that you find a halfway house. Because if you don't, for my, I can only speak from my experiences. I'm not from New Mexico. I didn't know anybody in New Mexico. They gave me food. They gave me shelter. And, and it was imperative to have that in your life. Uh, when you're struggling and, and you don't even have a place to go to, your chances go down huge. When you're hungry, your chances go down huge of success. So by having that opportunity, what I had was, was it, it created freedom. And you start to have your privacy because there is no privacy in an institution. So then you start to, to, to cherish that and you're going, I want, I want to try and find some more freedom. Because most men and women that come out of prison, their first thought is, I want to go back. Because it's very overwhelming. You know, the, 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 the introduction back into society is very overwhelming. You know, and, and, and when you're carrying a felony record... Like mine, my first job interview, we had a great dialogue. I was talking to her about, you know, I did $10 million a year with U.S. West and da-da-da-da-da. And she said, well, what did you go to prison for? And I said, conspiracy to commit armed robbery with a deadly weapon. She said, it's been a really nice interview. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to get back to you. We really want to hire you. And I knew the interview was over. But you know what? I had a place to go back to. I had dinner that night. I had people come in from the community and serve me food, and, and I had a meeting to go to, and, and, and I had community corrections, which was paying my rent. So all of that stress wasn't sitting in front of me, and I was able to go, okay, tomorrow will be a better day. That's Chris, who served 15 months in prison and is about to start a job as a maitre d' at a French restaurant in Albuquerque. You're listening to Peace Talks, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. And this time we're exploring the personal peacemaking and conflict resolution journey of two people who served prison sentences for crimes and are now reintegrating into society. Next, we'll meet Alicia, who, like Chris, grew up in a home with drugs and alcohol. She started using at the age of 11, and at 21, she was convicted of attempted first-degree murder. She served a five-year prison sentence and is now out rearranging her life. She works at a restaurant in Albuquerque and is back in college studying business communications. She has two young children who live with grandparents out of state. She recalled the beginning of her addiction for Carol Boss. My first drink, I tasted, I didn't like the taste, but I liked the feeling that it gave me. It was like I was all right just for that second. You know, I could relax. I didn't have to think about all the things that were going on in my life. And so I liked that feeling. So at the time of, of your arrest, right before going to prison, how were you feeling about yourself? I experienced a lot of pain growing up. Um, all, I, like, had rage just from things I'd bottled up all my life, just buried down inside of me to where... I, like, lost myself in that stuff. Like, I had so much rage inside of me 
that I didn't even know who I was anymore. It was like I was empty. I was just hollow. There wasn't nothing me, of me left. The night of, of, of the attempted murder, do you think it all came to a head for you? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Were you arrested that night? Yes, I was arrested that evening. And what happened for you then when you were taken to jail? When I was taken to jail, I woke up the next day because I'd been up for like 14 days without no sleep. Um, I woke up the next day and I was like just trying to remember what had happened the night before because it was like just total such loss of control almost. I mean, I accept full responsibility for my actions, you know, total full responsibility for my actions. But it was like I was on the outside of myself and I was I knew what I did, but I really didn't believe that. I could do something like that. And in all reality, that was just how much pain and hurt that had been built up over all those years um, for just, like, different life circumstances that's happened to me that just I just lost control. I exploded. I just couldn't take it no more. That was my breakdown right there. You know, you said you, were, you had no sleep for 14 days. Mm-hmm. Why was that? Because I was up on methamphetamines, uh-huh. just constant. I didn't stop. You started drinking when you were 11 years old. At that point in your life, were you feeling as a, a, a young person, a young child, that you were a victim? Mm-hmm. I was mainly uh, confused. Just I, I wondered why my life was like it was. Or I felt like it was my fault. Like if I could be a little bit better, then things will be better at home. Maybe there won't be so much fighting. Maybe if I do, maybe if I cook and clean and everything, then maybe that's a little less stress off my mom and... You know, just things like that, I would think. And I think, like, it was my fault. If I could be better and help more, then things would be okay. But no matter how hard I tried, it wasn't okay. Once you were in prison, did you begin to make choices for yourself as far as what you were going to do with your time there? How long were you sentenced for? You spent five years there. Um, Whenever I first went to jail, I was facing 38 years. Um, My first plea bargain was 18 years. And then my third one was 13 and a half years. And they were like, this is the last one we're giving you, so we're going to offer you, so take it or leave it, or we'll take you to trial. So I took the 13 and a half years, and they suspended eight and a half and gave me five. And I went to prison, and I was sitting in my, in my cubicle, and I was like, okay, I can make the best of this, or I can just be like the rest of them walk around here. I can come be in here when I'm 40 years old, or I can make something of myself now while I'm in here. And so I just I I decided to go to school. I decided to get into anger management. I decided to take, take corrective thinking. And after I got my GED, I decided to take college. I did all those things over the five years that I was, I was there. And I got some working skills underneath my belt. Let's talk about some of the um, programming that you did in, mm-hmm. in prison. Mm-hmm. You talked about corrective thinking. Um, I took a corrective thinking course, and it really... Um, blunt, bluntly um, broke down our barriers to us, like playing the victim role and blaming others. And, you know, it just really made it, made made me take a look at how corrupt my thought process was. Like, you don't, you're not supposed to hold people's secrets. You know what I mean? You're not supposed to hold secrets. And ever since I was little, I've been holding everyone's secrets, what they've done to me, what they've done to other people, what they've done to themselves, you know? And the classes like that, they helped me to understand that that's not the way that you're supposed to. There's a correct way that, you know, steps that you go to think things through. There's a process that, you know, you have to go through in order to make a sound decision 
based on morals and respect, you know? And so that class, I got a lot out of that class. What other class did you get a lot out of? Um, I took anger management, and I got a lot out of it, but initially the class made me angry. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I don't know if I like this class because whenever I come here, I'm okay, but when I come here, I feel angry. And they're like, it's okay to feel that way because that's what we're working on. And so um, there was like a lot of inside stuff that I had to – I had to get out because through all my life I just stuffed all that stuff and I didn't know that whenever you stuff it it doesn't go nowhere you know I just thought you just forget about it no you have to pull all that stuff out and put good stuff in in order to grow to be who you're supposed to be so you're taking um, quite a few classes were you finding yourself beginning to make choices for yourself conscious choices about how you were going to change your life and while you were in prison as well as when you eventually got out? Mm. One of my favorite quote, quotes that I love to live by is by Janice Joplin. She says, um, when I knew not, I did what I knew. Now that I know better, I do better. And I really just, I just love that because because um, I didn't know any better. I thought that that was the life that I was born into. That was the life that, that I was to lead and there was nothing else for me. But whenever I went to prison, just things started changing for me. I started seeing different, and there was there were people there to help me, to guide me. At first, I was, like, kind of leery because I didn't trust no one. I trusted myself, and that was it. And half the time, I didn't even trust trust myself. And um, just through, you know, people showing me, me seeing that there's a new, different way, there's a better way, and and then having people, you know, believe in me, like, push me a little bit, you know, like, come on, you can do it. Just try it once, you know? And um, me being humble enough to accept their advice instead of just thinking I know everything. Um, just tearing the, down those walls of self-righteousness and all that, all the ego, the ego and all that stuff, and being humble and listening to people's advice and, you know, trying new things. Um, that's taken me, you know, I'm all right today. Today I'm doing okay. And there hasn't been very many days whenever I could say that for my past, but today I'm all right. You began to uh, take classes, and and you felt that they were um, giving you a new way of thinking about things. Mm-hmm. Did did that change? Did you did you begin to have a sense of a, a future for yourself? What really changed for me, whenever I can really like pinpoint, was whenever I got my GED. That was like a big day for me because I never have like I never had accomplished anything in my life, you know, anything that I could be proud of, you know. Whenever I got it, it was just such a sense of success, accomplishment. I never had that feeling before, you know. And um, just to see, like, my teacher was so proud of me. And, and you know, it was something that I could show to my family because, you know, just to, just to be a good influence. Because I'm the oldest of six, and um, my brothers and sisters, they mean the world to me. And just to be a good influence on them. Um, I'm sorry. It's Okay. It just really means a lot to me to be able to do that. Were you able to find peace in yourself when you were in prison? Do you need a moment? No, I'm fine. Thank you. Um, towards the end, towards the, well, after I did like three years, I started like, um, you know, trying, discovering who I really am, what I really want, you know, and just having some kind of stability to know, you know, hey, I think I feel like me. I think I'm me. You know, just to be able to feel that and and to find a balance, you know, I have I have to like 
you know, pray and, I don't know, just to do good things makes me feel good. And to do good things for other people makes me feel good. So let's talk about what it was like for you when you got out of prison. How long have you been out? I've been out for a year and a half. What was that like to be in prison for five years and then be released? Where did you go? Um, I paroled into a program in Las Lunas, and it's called it was called La Entrada, and the counseling the counselors there. I mean, they're just awesome, and um, they really helped me, and they were real supportive and everything that I did, and, and they would call me. They'll hold me accountable for my behaviors, too, because even though I was clean from drugs and alcohol, there was still my attitudes, my behaviors, you know, little not little, but things like that that I had to change in order to be all I can be because those things trap you up, and you just fall into your old, old ways, your old behaviors. And so they really helped guide me through that. Well, why don't you talk about what some of the, um, the advice was that you got that was really important to you that really helped you just to remain open and willing and patient to give of myself freely to be humble to listen not talk all the time um, to be grateful I've learned a lot through being grateful and just setting goals in my life you know, I never had goals. I didn't even, you know, goals was like soccer game, you know. <laughs> I didn't really have goals. And it's good now because I'm starting to see, like, my life coming back. Um, not fast, but, like, I see little things. Like, my family, like, is back in my life. And I see my my papa for the first time in eight years last month. And he was here for three days. And it was good to see him, you know. My sister's here with me. My nephew, I haven't seen him for years. And through all the stuff that I put him through, They've always loved me, and I've never been able to give love back, like, proper. So now I'm able to genuinely love people and care about them sincerely as to just being something that said. Well, if you were to give advice for people coming out of prison. Changing your playmates and your playgrounds. That would be my best advice to anyone. Talk about that a little bit. Um, I'm from Missouri, and so, like, I wanted to go home, you know? Inside, my heart told me that that's not a good place for me to be. But then my mind was all homesick, wanted to go home. But I, if you, if you know, if nothing changes, nothing changes. If you go back, you know, to your stomping grounds with the same people that are doing the same thing, and you're trying to do something different, your chances of succeeding are nil, nil to none. And then you're left with jails, institutions, or death. That's it. You know, there's really not much hope for you. But if you choose to take a leap of faith into the unknown and do something different, then your chances your chances are higher, you know? Is it important for you to be honest about your history when you meet people? And, and if that's the case, how does, that, how does that happen for you? How does that work for you? <clears throat> it's imp- um, I think that there's a time and a place. I definitely think that. I've started a new, a new chapter in my life. And um, I don't think that everybody needs to know where I come from and what's happened in my life. Um, but there's moments where I share freely, and I'll, I'll dig, a, dig out the biggest bone in there, okay? You know, out of the closet. But um, there's times whenever, you know, this is my new life now. This is all that stuff is in the past. It's moving on, and this is who I am today. I think I make sound judgments on that. 
Do you deal at all with people once they do learn your history who are distrustful of you? And if that if that has ever happened, how do you deal with that? I've been snubbed a couple times. They're like, oh. <laughs> but um, I really don't have much to say to the you know to them because if that's how they feel, that's how they feel, you know. But I know who I am today, and so I'm okay with that. I'm so glad that you could um, join us on this program. I'm, I'm happy to be here. That's Alicia, who served five years in prison for attempted first-degree murder. She's now in college and working in a family restaurant. You can hear extended interviews with both Alicia and Chris at our website, peacetalksradio.com. That's peacetalksradio.com, where you can order CDs, sign up for a newsletter, or play your part in keeping talk of peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution on the radio by making a contribution in any amount. Other support for Peace Talks comes from the McCune Charitable Foundation of New Mexico, the Peace Tales CD Project, and KUNM. Music by Ali Adelman. I'm Paul Ingalls, the producer, and I thank you for listening.